0: Welcome to the B-Side Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm stepping outside the levees with Jared Cernier from Outside the Levees YouTube channel. How you doing today,
1: Jared? i good, man. I'm, I'm excited to be on your podcast. I'm glad you're doing it. And uh, we just had a lot of fun, didn't we? Yeah,
0: we did. I mean, um, so the videos may be out by the time this podcast may not be out. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. Um we went out to a public area and did some crabbing and look that so I was telling Jared on the way down here on the way down the crabbing that we did uh first time I ever fished Saint Bernard was last fall so less than a year ago and uh I was like man I was like I didn't realize how great this is you know you could sit here and catch redfish next to speckled trout next to bass which First of all, you should never be catching a speckle trout to bass in the same canal. I don't know what's going on there. But uh, definitely enjoyed it. got to see another part of St. Bernard. Uh, so, Jared, for the people that don't know who you are, which if they found my podcast and my YouTube channel, should have already seen all of your stuff. But give us a little bit of your background on, you know, hunting, fishing, your YouTube channel, why you started your YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, so I'll work my way backwards, I guess. I'm Jared Serenay. I'm the producer of Outside the Levees on YouTube. We also have Instagram, TikTok, all the same name. Um, what I do is I go out on hunting, fishing trips, film them. Almost always we cook something at the end, typically from that hunting or fishing trip, and we make a video out of it. And uh, it's, it's something I'm doing as a, as a full-time career now. I've been able to take some of the success I've had on YouTube and the other social media platforms, get some really awesome amazing sponsors who believe in what i do and that's that's my job so that's what i'm, I'm doing now um as far as my background i'm from here in saint bernard parish grew up around the culture of you know uh food right like boys and you know most of that food had to do with something that was caught from what we call outside the levees. so you live inside the levees because you want that levee to protect you from storm surge but you play outside the levee you You know people make a living on the water outside the levee so that's where that name comes from that's where I guess I draw inspiration in who I am and and who what I want my family to be what I want the YouTube to be all that inspiration comes from that you know those marshlands and those waters outside the levees.
0: yeah you know like where I grew up is a little bit different because I grew up on the Mississippi River front batcher and we really we were on the south side of Lake Pontchartrain so we didn't really worry about the levees until recently you know so, um, we we never referred to it as that, but I thought it was cool that you took that part of what people don't think about, you know. Because, like, here, pretty much Delacro, Hope Day, all that is outside the protection levy. Correct. And, uh, but, so, the first time I seen Jared, or the first one I remember seeing, i probably seen him before that, was actually the Hurricane Ida video where he went through and um, went down to...
1: We did, uh, I want to say... You, you put me on the spot here. <laughs> it was Lockport and Point of Schoen.
0: Yeah. So he went, showed the devastation that was there, and that video was just sent, was like, hey, man, look at the racetrack by where you work. Like, that's how that video was sent to me. So I was like, well, I'm going to go look back at a couple of his other videos and started following him. And uh, we've been trying to get together to do a video, I think for six, eight months now, and it's just time's never worked out. We finally got out to do it today. Um, so it's fall time I know we've been harping on this and people are probably getting tired of hearing about fall what are you most excited for with this fall time coming up
1: on a personal level I'm most excited to be getting our, our new deer lease ready so this is the first place that I've hunted deer for that A wasn't set up when you got in and B wasn't part of like a, a greater hunting club So this lease is just mine you know and so whatever happens on it comes down to me decisions are made through me um my family is ready to start hunting my six-year-old son may or may not shoot this year you know it's kind of up to him and how he progresses with it but my wife is most likely going to go ahead and shoot and uh and for me it's just been a matter of like setting up the food plot and cutting the lanes and you know figuring out where the stands are going to go so that's on a personal level that's what i'm the most excited about so what bow hunting starts this coming saturday so we could you know i could if i wanted to start hunting as early as saturday i may probably wait a little bit and do a little bit more work out there and get it to a point where i'm happy with it um but that you know i kind of that's almost detached from the youtube like this is my view on that right like so deer hunting as a subject on youtube is already kind of taken up by the deer hunting youtubes have been around for a long time and to their credit they were smart enough to start early you know most of those channels have worked their way up to a point where they're hunting you know uh pretty mature pretty large antler deer you know 150 inches or greater so why would someone in youtube world want to come watch little old me you know hunt little old louisiana marsh deer uh so i don't like i'm not hanging my youtube hat on the deer lease it really is just a place for me to go and just be a normal guy and be a normal hunter and not have to worry about making videos. So um, so that's, I guess, from a personal standpoint, I'm excited about that. From a YouTube standpoint, I'm excited because you get longer filming windows. So like in the summer, we get, you know, Louisiana gets all this humidity built up in the air every day. Well, there's a thunderstorm by noon every day. That's gone now, thankfully. Like the moisture is out of the air. It's leaving, you know, more and more. Uh, moisture is leaving you know our area more and more so we we could literally you and i could have filmed all day today the weather is that comfortable for us the water temperatures should be dropping for the fish so you just get a lot bigger windows to film so i don't have like one particular video or subject that i'm excited i just know that you know it's it's, we call it harvest season right like this is the time when everything is harvested like you saw it today there's shrimp boats all over getting ready to go catch shrimp you know there's is Speckled Trotter moving and whatever it is it's all happening this time of year so I can get I can film content that could last me for another year or two you know like in the amount of things that are about to happen so I just think it's a great time of year to be gathering content even if I don't use it right now I might save it for later.
0: Yeah you know and like you were talking about the shrimp boats and that's kind of what like a South St. Bernard's built on is that hunting or not the hunting but the fish fisheries because they Some of the best shrimp, I mean, the shrimp, crabs, uh, oysters. I don't know how much crawfish do they have south of,
1: like... Oh, no. Yeah, dude, there's there's no wild-caught crawfish harvested here. You know, nothing to speak of on a commercial, you know.
0: Yeah, but so pretty much what I would say is, you know, because growing up, crawfish weren't as popular as they are. Not at
1: all. (laughs) I've tried to explain to people how big of a thing that's become... Nationwide, maybe yeah. it was big here, but yeah. nationwide it wasn't as big as when you and I were coming out.
0: So, my, my grandpa always says he can remember when he was a kid, crawfish was the poor man's seafood. Like, how about that? No, like yeah. It, yeah. the people that lived in, right? You know, he, lived, he grew up in the projects we'll in New Orleans. The
1: prices that fishermen are getting for shrimp now were the same or they were even better in like 1981. So that just goes to show you, okay? Shrimp is three dollars. Is what they're getting is about um, at the docks for like a really big shrimp. They're getting I think one, you know, that whatever. Let's just say so. So for you and I to buy it off the street, it's about three dollars a pound. Well, hell, it was the same back then, you know. So that just goes to show you what he was right because shrimp was the that was the rich man's seafood.
0: Yeah, I mean, and look, and you want to talk about something that's devastating because being in Lafitte. You deal with all these men and I would, or trumpers Oh, shrimper men's weird, but uh <laughs> but yeah, so you deal with the shrimpers and you talk to them and they're like, Look, man, he's like and they'd be like, Man, you ain't been out in three weeks. And he's like, Because if they ain't catching good, I can't make a living. He's like, Yeah, right, right. You know, right. four years ago when diesel was at a dollar fifty a gallon, right? I could push all day and break even. He says, Now with diesel four or five dollars a gallon. In which shrimp at three dollar dollar eighty nine last I talked to him it was a dollar eighty nine shrimp and the uh that's diesel what they're getting
1: at the dock yeah right? yeah 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 and that's for the biggest count that's yeah for, yeah the best the you know the
0: so he was like man you know with dollar eighty nine shrimp and five dollar a gallon diesel right he's like you make one bad push yeah and you done lost your boat yeah like. right and he actually he's got a this this shrimper as a forty or fifty foot boat, he had it tied up all summer because it's cheaper on him to run somebody else's boat, you know. And that that's sad because you're losing that culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because you know they don't have that culture left right, anymore right, right, with right. that. Right. And it commercial fishing is a hard game to get into as it is. I mean, right. crabs I think are probably the best profitable. ones. Not models. anymore. Really, and that
1: price is going too. Has it? They they enjoyed good prices on crabs for years, and now that one's no. going to crab too. So about the only thing you're getting a good return on is oysters these days, and that's much more exclusive than all the other ones.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. Last couple of years ago, when they started the the crab prices really went up. Before, yeah, yeah. Right. They started that toy. in Louisiana. You gotta have an apprentice. You gotta be an apprentice to yeah. get a commercial right, gear right, license. Right, right. Yeah, which. I think that's a good thing and a bad thing for the industry because now you you have you don't have all these people when the prices jump up all of a sudden. you don't have a thousand crabbers out right. there you still have your primary ones that's been doing it yeah but um, so you've lived here your whole life you you've seen the change uh, one thing I know because y'all have a pretty successful diversion on this side and there's a don't y'all have one
1: go ahead I'll, I'll let you uh, finish.
0: Well, fresh, y'all have a freshwater diversion that I don't think has killed the fishing industry like everybody saying the the Baratari when they're worried about it because they're worried about it killing all the industry. Have you been around before that diversion and seen the change and how it's affected it? Or
1: Do you know which diversion you're speaking of? Just so you and I are on the same page before we start this. Oh no, and just oh, any any it.
0: of them in general. Okay. <laughs> like... so, yeah,
1: there's one man-made freshwater diversion that is I believe it's technically in Plaquemines Parish. It's a, it's near the Saint Bernard and Plaquemines Parish line. Um I want to say it was completed sometime in the early 90s and the idea was that, you know, scientists knew that after we levied the Mississippi River that salt water was going to become your your primary water and fresh river water was your secondary. And there was no longer an opportunity for them to mix like they were originally mixing before we levied the river. So what their thought was that, man, in order for us to lower the salinity levels in this basin called the, uh, that would be, I guess, the Breton Sound Basin, let's dig a man-made canal that connects to the Mississippi River so we can release river water into this basin and lower salinity. The, the main reason to do that was to try and get the perfect salinity for oysters. Oysters, like, they don't like it too salt. and They, they definitely don't like it too fresh. There's, like, a, a good salinity for oysters that you can maintain, and that was what they were trying to accomplish with that diversion. That diversion was never meant to build the land. So now when we talk about river diversions, the idea is that we're going to put in this big man-made canal, release a bunch of river water and sediment, and over time, over a long period of time, it builds length. This current diversion was never designed to do that. It was meant to just be a fresh water diversion to manage salinity levels. What many people believe is that that fresh water got into a uh, you know brackish marsh and ruined it. And weakened it over time by supplying it with too much fresh water, too much, you know, uh, runoff from from the Midwest where you have all the fertilizers weakened our marsh. And then when a hurricane came, the mark were, the marsh was so weak from that freshwater diversion that it ruined it. So most of your people who live here, especially people who gonna the seafood industry, actually hate the diversion. That's why when you said it was, a, I was like, hey, really? Um, so so. Uh, now, there's there's let, let's just take that concept right like so this freshwater diversion ruined that brackish marsh that we had the hurricane finished it off okay I'll give you that much however when you go to the west side of the Mississippi River there is no diversion there hasn't been a diversion in a long time you've got more levees there so a lot less freshwater influence you you have even less marsh in that Barryrier basin than you do here on this side so the concept that the freshwater weakens the brackish marsh and it dies doesn't necessarily hold weight when you go look on that side of the river because there's no freshwater influence. Yeah. So uh, that's that's a debate, and I'm not going to. There's no point in me giving my opinion on that debate because I'm only one person. So I tend to I tend to say that you know utilizing the Mississippi River should be a piece. Of the plan when you're talking about rebuilding our coast is it the end all be all probably not will a man-made freshwater canal work as well as natural bayous and natural cuts in the river no it won't you know that's how mother nature designed it and we screwed it up now we're trying to fix that so but no if, i mean if you want to ask me like what that freshwater did to our system in my opinion i really don't know because like i said i mean look there could be some truth to that right like In other words that 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 marsh around that diversion was being fed you know overfed fertilizers the fertilizers live in the river and maybe it did get weaker i'm not saying it didn't to me it doesn't seem that doesn't seem concrete so i don't i don't live and die on that but what i do see i do see some benefits from benefits from having fresh water number one one of the main things is the amount of submerged aquatics we get in our open water ponds. i mean you can have you know, acres upon acres upon acres of ponds with just beautiful submerged aquatic grass, then your crabs can go grow up in that grass. Your mullet can go grow up in that grass. You know, in 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 the fall, your white shrimp goes. So, I mean, to me, there's a lot of benefits of having that freshwater influence mixing with, you know, the salinity. But do I think it's a positive thing? Yes. Do most people agree with me? No. Most people would say that needs to be closed and, and don't allow any fresh water into our system
0: yeah and that's the reason I was trying to get like if you saw the change in the marsh because like they put in the Davis diversion and uh, back in the late 2000s well prior to them when I was a kid growing up in the 90s um, if you're for people that are familiar with hi- with highway 90 it runs basically down from New Orleans to Morgan City and everything south of that they consider that... Or actually, that's not the salt line. It's I-10 is the salt line. But that area, like the Zalman's area, was always freshwater. Well, back in the 90s, they started seeing uptick in salinity. And we were catching redfish all the way almost up to the bridge in the Zalman's, And that shouldn't be happening. Well, since the Davis diversion has been put in, it's lowered the salinity levels a little bit. And now you don't... The redfish will still come in because they still live in freshwater. But you don't get... You don't get the speckle trout coming in as far and all yeah. of that. And like you were saying, I think there need to be more to coastal conservation, just like any problem we have in Louisiana. And the reason is is because it needs to be multiple parts of a big picture. And you can't just say one thing's going to do it. Yeah. But uh, So let's get off of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's every, everybody's, everybody's a coastal scientist, and everybody's got an opinion. And, you know, I mean, I, just... I mean you got to realize if you live in fear right if you live in fear that this thing that, that you make a living on will be destroyed if you allow the government to pour too much fresh water into your estuary your fear is still real whether or not we agree with them and whether or not I think they're wrong or they're you know they're not looking at the science whatever I think doesn't matter like that, that their fear is still real you know so you have to you have to still listen to folks and give them a seat at the table even if you don't Agree, or even if you know the science backs one thing and not another. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, that's what I said. They they do studies, and we were we talked about somewhere that somebody was like, "Man, it costs so much for a government entity like that to do a project." I was like, "But what you don't realize, if you wanted to go put a new culvert in, you go dig a culvert, throw it in the hole, when." The Government wants to do it, they got to study every animal that's right, going to be affected right. by that. Well, the car. worst
1: <laughs> thing, too, is that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is in charge of it all. I yeah. mean, the, the army, you know, their job is to go out and fight wars and kill people, not to fix Louisiana, you know. Yeah. So, if they were removed, I think we'd have a much smoother process.
0: But let's get off of that because that's probably a controversial topic, and yeah, <laughs> I, really, yeah. I really don't want to be there. Um, so doing the YouTube and all. <laughs> so we had talked about it a little bit and I really kind of want this podcast to be like behind the scenes, you know, of that. Um, what's your favorite videos to film, whether they do good or not?
1: Going to the camp. Going to the camp, cutting up, you know, goofing off, cooking something. Probably a duck hunt, but uh, duck hunting just doesn't seem to do well. You know, just really the, the stuff I would probably normally just be doing anyway. Whereas like now, I've kind of tailored the channel to doing things that i think are going to do well you know on youtube rather than things that we just normally do but it's a job you know you can't like no one you know like if in other words i treat my youtube channel like a career like a job so in other words if, if catching catfish is what does well on youtube and i've had some success doing that and make money doing that then i'll do it you know it's not my favorite thing to do but no one loves their job in and out that you know so you have to do certain things even though it's youtube career you still have to do stuff that plays well on youtube
0: yeah you know and there's like and it's funny because we were talking about it earlier that like you'll put a video out that you're like in love with it's your baby yeah, yeah it looks so great and then it's like like for me it'll be like you got 30 views and i'm like yeah
1: those never <laughs> do well the ones you like are never going to do well on your own youtube channel yeah. I, you know it, you talk to anyone with any amount of success on YouTube, whether they're huge or whether they're small, we all have that same dilemma. The videos we love best are never the ones the audience love best. And you just got to live with that, you know? So let's talk a little bit about
0: fishing. And so this time of year is really a I think special time of year because then fish are really starting to, like, change their pattern. You know, you went into that late summer draw to where they get lockjaw, you know, they get it. And then in fall, you get that pattern where they start trying to bulk up for the winter. Um, So what is the, like, if you had to do one type of fishing this time of year, what would it be?
1: That's a good question. I like the days where we would go and just catch a little bit of everything. You know, you might go and and get on a school of trout in, in a bay and drift across the bay and every cast or every other cast, you're catching trout, throwing them in the box. You hear that th- 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 shaking around in the ice, you know. But then, you you know, you might call that around 9 a.m. and go find you a, you know, a, a little drain falling out of the marsh and, and catch a few redfish to throw on top of the trout. So, that, that's what I would, you know, normally be doing. Um, and if I'm not, you know, working, which means making a YouTube video, uh, that's what I would be doing.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of like, With the back on the YouTube thing, it's like you can't do too much in a video, but you have to do enough to make the video. So, like,
1: well, it's not that I just that making that that making a video what I described to you, it's not worth my energy because I know it's not gonna get a lot of views. I know it doesn't appeal nationwide. It appeals to a finite amount of people in Louisiana, and there's already a few guys who who do that much better than I do anyway. So for me, it's like identifying those little subjects that I think are going to do well and then just being able to go out and do that trip that I'm talking about either for fun you know or just to make the video is just a memory you know because you know a and Redfish videos you know if I get 5,000 views on that I've done something really well you know but typically a video like that lives for me somewhere around 3,000 views and it's not worth that amount of energy and not worth sacrificing you know just being in the moment enjoying something I love
0: yeah I mean and you got to weigh it against it, you know, and like you said, it's custom. Now, one thing I would have never thought if you would have told me did good on YouTube was Nutra Hunt because that's like, look, first of all, I never Nutra Hunted before last year. <laughs> and yeah. I know I've had success with my neutra Hunt videos. You've had them. Vinny's had them. Yeah. Everybody, I think even, uh, I think Nate's video did pretty good when he did it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, now, when you do it, do you, you, I know you did a catch, cook, click, catch, clean, cook. I didn't do the cleaning. Yeah. I don't show any oh, the, cleaning. Yeah, but you did. The, I
1: rarely show cleaning yeah. on my channel.
0: But you did the catch and cook part mm-hmm. of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you eat something like Nutra, because pe- people are gonna say, "Oh, that's a rat," and has a rat tail, it's not a rat. <laughs> it's a. It's pretty much a rabbit that swims yeah. very well. Um, what would you describe like their meat texture?
1: I think it's a little bit overrated like some people like man it's so good it's like a rabbit um which it is similar to rabbit but it's certainly underrated too like uh i don't know I, I there's definitely better meats out there and certainly from animals that don't give you the willies like a nutri does. you know like i get it dude i like i don't love to eat nutria, but once again if it does well on youtube i'll do whatever you know i don't care It's my job so um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't. It's it's not like I'm big into eating neutral. I'll do it for the videos, but if, if you know, I feel like if it wasn't for the videos, I'd be duck hunting and eating my duck, and you know, shooting my deer and eat my deer. So.
0: Yeah, uh, like I said, Vinny introduced me to it. It's a it's a good meat and it's a healthy meat.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. You're right. No, it is a healthy meat.
0: And but it's like, yeah, but I still would rather have a, as they say, lapin. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, right. Like it's compared.
1: I think in color and cons, you know consistencies to a rabbit, but still not quite as good as a rabbit. And to I'll be perfectly honest, most people will tell you rabbit's their favorite wild game. I don't love rabbit. Like I got I hate cleaning rabbit because typically they're shot and they stink. Like I don't I I'm not. You'll never hear me rate rabbit really high.
0: Now I ate this last year for the first time, and it has become my favorite wild game is beaver and I, like if you would have told probably me
1: probably cause it has fat huh
0: oh it's it's a it's almost if so if you would compare like Nutra to Rabbit it would be more compared to beef it's a red meat it's got that fat and it's it's just such a good meat I mean no I've kidding. I've huh. eaten raccoon I've eaten uh almost anything that you can eat you know yeah. like we're, we're not scared to try it right um now I won't eat otter <laughs> cause they said it uh very fishy, like it's. A, oh yeah, because it, of their diet. Yeah. yeah, and they said it's a, it's an oily meat, and but uh, I won't eat uh, what do you call them? Armadillo. That was no, a, I'm not, huh? not, um, not, a, not a chance,
1: <laughs> not a chance. No, but maybe if I went, I'm not some, even considering it.
0: Maybe I went somewhere yeah. and they had it, it'd like, you know, it was. I wouldn't even. And... <laughs> you'd literally have to trick me into it.
1: I'm not doing
0: it. I have no nothing.
1: I gotta draw the line
0: somewhere. Um, so what do you think is the oddest thing that you've eaten? On the show? Or any, anywhere, like in like as growing up. Because, look, growing up as kids, we, we ate everything.
1: You know? I mean, dude, think about how odd it is that we there <laughs> Or It's pretty freaking or moisture. odd, you know, or even worse than oyster, <laughs> which is phenomenal to eat, but is the ugliest thing you ever want to see, you know? Um yeah, I mean, just I think if, if you step if you were able to step back and not see it for what you see it for, some of the stuff we eat is pretty freaking odd, you know. No, yeah, no
0: doubt. It's like, and I always joke that uh, whenever you go to a cage's house, you'll hear get back in that pot and they're hitting the because you know, it's it's anything. No, yeah. I mean, they'll eat anything around yeah. here. So you were saying you're getting in the deer hunt, the deer side of things, and all we talked a little bit about that, but. So let's talk about a little bit about the prep you've done up to this point since both seasons, you know, it actually, both scenes has already been going probably for two weeks, three weeks now. So, but,
1: <laughs> oh, by the time, you <laughs> yeah, least... by the
0: time this podcast <laughs> comes out, but yeah. up until this point, which is right before October, talk about like what you've done because th- it, this property, like, the way he was describing it, is pretty unique. Because if you go in like Mississippi or North Louisiana, you, you still have you have trails and all, but it's lumber company. It's big pine. This is a, more of a m- swamp marsh area, kind of, or
1: no? Or I mean, river it's, it's part of it's part of uh, I guess something that would technically be inside the levee, you know. So it's you don't have, uh, yeah, you don't have to go outside of a levee to hunt it. And it's like, you know, down here we just call everything the woods, you know. <laughs> so it's the woods. Um, on hard ground, you know, we've got a mix of lo- a lot of live oak, a lot of uh, black willow, some pecan trees I saw, we've got a lot of, you know, like, uh, brush, like mung bushes, and we've got, of course, the dang Chinese tallow tree, the invasive tree, so it's, you know, it's, it's all hard, hard, you know, I don't want to say hardwoods, but it's it's woods. Yeah, and
0: you were describing that nobody's been on it in five years, like,
1: yeah, no, it hasn't been hunted. I, I think the landowner gave an estimate of five years. So, and in that five-year span, we've had two major hurricanes. So, all of your trees that were knocked down for hurricanes were laying over in the lane was there. The shooting lane itself, where the you know the old, folk, you know whoever used to hunt it before me hunted it. It's it was still there. It wasn't completely grown over, but it hasn't been cut in at least two years because Hurricane Zeta was two years ago and that knocked down a bunch of trees. So in about two years it had been cut so we had to have a bobcat go in clear that we had to locate it first like it, you know I, I like was failing to meet over there with the So i something like going back on google maps i missed so in other words you have to go across a ditch to get into the woods i missed the culvert by inches of like trying to find where to go in a tree had fell over on top of the crossover and i missed it entirely so i call on the lander i'm like dude i think i need to put a new cover i think i need to put a new in a cover and he's like no way! I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, it's not there. It's not there. He comes. He's like, you missed it by inches, and you could see where we went in with the sabre side The cover was like just a few inches from where the tire passed. We finally located the crossover. Then we had a machine going, clear it out. Then we've gone back in and done a bunch of work with a tractor. We planted that, you know, food plot seeds, the whole deal. Um, still need to put some stands in. In fact, I still had to go to another an old deer lease and get stands out. So it's just been a con. The last two weeks has been constant. We're prepping deer and you know if you're a deer hunter you you know what I'm talking about I'm just excited about it because it's my first time ever setting up a place the places I've hunted before were already set up when I got there you know
0: yeah you know and what I was saying is unique about that is like most of the time around here property to deer hunt on when it goes for lease it's gone like as soon as somebody gets one person gets off of it the next person gets on it and it's just because we don't have a ton of prop I mean you can hunt the marsh but for like me at 280 pounds, marsh hunting isn't fun, cause I gotta make sure <laughs> that, yeah. that I don't go through anything. Um, I mostly hunt big pine in Mississippi, and I got a buddy that has a camp in Louisiana, and west northwest Louisiana, kind of more west than north. But and it's like it's all pine plantation. So to hunt somewhere like that, that's oak trees and stuff. Is really cool because like right now at this time of year when the acorns are dropping you can get in there and that's where the deer is going to be as the season goes on they migrate if you if you have a variety of you know trees on a property deer will migrate and i've seen it in like early bow season is like the magical time or bow season really because you'll see things in bow season you'll never see the rest of the season um last year the year before i had Eleven o'clock in the day, I had a four point and a uh a three point call buck and I was gonna smoke the call buck. Like he had he had gnarly like Yeah you you, yeah. you know and I was like, I'm gonna smoke him if he comes out. And he never came close enough, but it's like you don't see that during rifle season. Once, you know, you get to that point where they start feeling that urge to rut, yeah, then bucks are gonna split up and you'll never see it again. Right. Um I had a a six point, and the place we hunt on is a four point or better. Which, after the fact that I let the deer walk, the landowner told me because he didn't have brow tines, I should have shot him. Uh. But it's, I mean, this was like a, a freaking, I don't know, he was, he probably had a 20 inch spread on this six point. He was a big, mature be- deer, and it's like, man, what do you like? I let him walk underneath the stand, and he, I know he smelled me. Cause like he came from downwind of me. there's yeah. no way he didn't smell me but it's like early bow season they just don't care like yeah. I guess they haven't they forgot about the threat no yeah but so so you got a food plot in on the property that's uh you gonna do box stands or ladder
1: stands? yeah we'll or? do a mixture of both so we've got um two box stands to put in one of them will actually go in the marsh so this property does extend out into the marsh so Actually, hunt in and outside the levee hunting. Um, so, we'll do two in the marsh. We'll probably do two ladder, you know, one ladder stand in the oaks, one near the, you know, the the food plot. And then um, yeah, that'll, I'll probably do ground blind for bow hunting. I like to hunt off the ground, I really do.
0: Man, I bought, uh, so on the way to Disney World last year, the year before, we stopped at Bucky's. And if you're, look, if y'all don't know what a Bucky's is, Imagine the biggest gas station you've ever
1: seen combined with a Walmart, pretty much. Yeah, yeah exactly. But like all the like all, just only the good stuff. Yeah. You know, like get all the dumb stuff out of Walmart. You know, and then just the good stuff. But we stopped. Well, so we stopped at Bucky's, and
0: um, they had the Muddy Preview threes, which is the ones that you could see on two yeah. sides completely through. They had them on sale for like ninety nine bucks. Oh, nice. And it was like. It might have been the end of deer season, but I was like...
1: Yeah, that's when you buy stuff. I was like...
0: Way. So, I texted a bunch of people I knew, and I was like, Hey, they got the the big ones, the threes, for 99 and the twos for 79 Do y'all need any ground blinds?' And they had, like, 10 of them. And I, I picked them all up, and, like, everybody I brought them to, even the twos were giving me $100 bills. They were just like, Here, here yeah, right. it's, it's, it's a quarter of the price. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, definitely late season prep is not the cheap way to go like when it comes to deer hunting yeah yeah but uh so with deer hunting y'all primary can y'all rifle hunt there or is it like a? okay because i know like jefferson parish i don't think you can use a rifle in so anywhere in jefferson parish you're technically not supposed to you're not supposed to shoot a solid or solid bullet so it's supposed to be a shotgun only that's why i was asking i didn't know if y'all had something similar or a definitely like shotgun have you ever sh- hunted deer with a shotgun or
1: yeah i mean 50 50 success rate on you know
0: yeah it, it's so the reason <laughs> i'm bringing that up is because like sh- i know there's places that have a shotgun season and that's
1: almost like
0: a like i think i
1: think they're shooting slugs like it's
0: yeah it's a solid projectile yeah but I, I was laughing because it's it's almost like the other version of bow, like it's the high tech version. Yeah. of bo- yeah.
1: <laughs> it, it gives that it gives you about a hundred yards, you know, one hundred and fifty yeah. at the very max. Um, yeah, so deer can go around you, I guess. So, when it comes to duck hunting, uh, would you
0: or do you, what type of? Let's talk about the gun you use because that seems to be a big topic. People like to hear about is like the gear, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Like, I use an 870, which Mm -hmm. I want to upgrade to a semi-automatic, but then again, I know how hard I am on my 870. So I don't know if, like, going to a semi-automatic is a good idea. (laughs) So do you use a semi-automatic or a pump? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What gun is it?
1: So for the last, I want to say, 10 seasons, I've used the Browning A5, you know, the new production A5, not an old one. And I think I just finally... At this point, it would take so much... You know, I'd have to replace so many parts of that gun. I just decided to go with something new and I was down here at a pawn shop Believe it or not. And I saw a Beretta a400 It was like barely used. I mean, I think they probably took it out just to shoot it a couple of times I got that for a thousand bucks. It's like a fourteen to eighteen hundred dollar gun. So I jumped on that right away I'm not thrilled about you know, because the good thing about the a5 it has that humpback so you get used to that so I'm like, you know, i probably gonna have an adjustment period there where I'm getting used to not having that anymore. It's a little bit heavier gun, and it's also a gas-driven gun, so there will be a lot of differences from the A5, but shouldn't be anything I can't get over. You know, after a couple weeks of hunting. So uh, I know
0: you like the turkey hunt too, huh? Yeah, I love the turkey. Hunt. So I know with turkey hunting you pattern shotgun.
1: Do you ever do that for duck hunting or? No, I mean you should. I'm not. <laughs> Please don't don't take me as I'm just being honest. I don't want to like. Act like I'm, you know, really uh, thorough about setting up my duck hunting shotgun. I'm not, but you should be,
0: you know. You know, that's how I am. Like, uh, I saw somebody was like, yeah, I patterned my shotgun to show it how to pattern a shotgun, and I'm like, wait, you pattern shotguns
1: yeah, for duck hunting? Yeah. <laughs> like turkey hunting. I've done it, I, and I think what it's gonna, what, what, and why I don't probably is after trying so many different shells, I started noticing I was shooting better in this probably will change with the new gun, but I started, you know, like, I was consistently making more shots with this one particular shell of the Federal Speed Shot, like, the cheap one. I'm like, well, damn, something, you know, so that after that, that's probably why I didn't dive any deeper in the pattern, because, like, that seemed to be the one, because I used, like, uh, what was the the heavy, not, you know, it's like, he- I think it's heavy, heavy steel. Heavy shot? Heavy, heavy steel. steel. Heavy steel. And I, I couldn't hit crap with that, you know, so it's like, I think just through that process of elimination, um, I eventually found something that worked.
0: Yeah, I mean, but you should,
1: I mean, you should, you know, you should pattern your gun at least, you know, before you commit to buying a case of something too, you know.
0: Yeah. But like last year I bought a case and somebody was like, "Oh, did you pattern your gun before?" and I was like, "No, because guess what? I was I was supposed to go on a conservation goose hunt. So I needed a case of shells, right?" Yeah, right. And uh they were like, "Oh, you just bought a case." And I was like, it was the only thing i could find. Yeah, right. That's a good point.
1: <laughs> yeah, you might find something you really like that patterns well and all of a sudden you can't get it anywhere. So that's a good point too. But uh so
0: and so when you when you duck hunt in the marsh cuz you're primarily marsh duck hunting, they do. You, what type of choke do you use? A full or
1: oh uh, modified?
0: Modified? Yeah. So this is crazy. Uh we went on a teal hunt and I know people heard this. I we had, I had a lucky BB theory for a while because I was shooting Galanoo and it's like the one shot, the Galanoo would roll and then the next one I could unload on him and reload and unload again and might hit him and we couldn't figure out what was going on and the guy was like, I think you're a terrible shot and just getting lucky or something messed up with your pattern. So he gave me his shotgun and I started rolling birds left and right and it was a full, but that could have just been the distance we were shooting at him too. Yeah. um. So that's a that's a big thing is how far you get birds out from you. Um,
1: yeah.
0: I would turk. Well, I guess we could talk a little bit about turkey hunting, but or we could just come back to it during turkey season. Yeah, because <laughs> that's a little ways out. Yeah, you know? right. Uh. So I don't know how often you listen to the podcast. We started this new thing. We have a playlist that every guest gets to select three songs from the playlist. Um, and we kind of get them to explain one, and sometimes they just go ahead and explain them all and um, so what would be your three like I'm going out fishing going out hunting or just general three songs that are like top on the list okay. oh, that, that's fine let's so <laughs> and look for people that are like oh I want to know this playlist it's the b-side let me get it right b-side outdoor playlist and it's explicit I know we keep this podcast clean so you can listen to it with your kids and all. Do not listen to the playlist with it. Because uh, we have a little bit of everything at this point um, on it. So, you know, like, I'm an, I'm an old... Like, my mom was hair metal. So, like, I got some hair metal on it. Then we got everything from there to Shania
1: Twain. So... Nice. <laughs> so so what three songs you... So the first one coming to mind, and this really just has to do with my relationship with my two sons who are slowly but surely, you know, going on hunting fishing trips with me. My son, Jack, has actually been going with me since he was three and a half. And I did not mean to start him that early, but he asked to go one day, and it just clicked and it worked. Um, and then my other son, Milo, who probably won't be much of a deer hunter, he doesn't like to be quiet for too long, but just enjoys going to the camp and, he, you know, he, he can duck hunt, you know, so... Uh, their favorite song to get pumped up for going do you know, hoodrat country stuff is Boys Around Here by Blake Shelton. So that, you know, that's my song with them when I need to get them in that mindset of like, we're going hunting, we're going fishing, or we're going to do something outdoors. We, we listen to the boys around here. And, uh, and that's just kind of our little thing, right? You know, like, it's my two sons, it's me, so we're the boys around here. So that's number one, I'd probably say. Number two, Freddie King going down. Just for whatever reason, that song's going to get you in the right mindset no matter what. And let's see, I'm looking through some of my playlists to see what, what's sticking out to me. Yeah. And then for the boat ride-in, hopefully after you've had a wonderful, successful trip of catching fish, and sitting on the ice, you're drinking a beer on the ride-in, Toto by Africa. That's just going <laughs> to get the mood right. Everybody's going to be jamming out to that at that point. So, yeah, you talked about having
0: sons, and that's something that we touched on last week's podcast a little bit, but with Justin and how, like, when I bring my daughter out, she's not an outdoors girl yet, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully she gets better, but, like, so Labor Day weekend I brought her, and I was in my uncle's gator tail, no shade, you know, so I was like, look, I want to bring her just to bring her fish in and see. So we go out there, and, you know, I cast my line out, I'm holding it, and I'm like, oh, Adeline, I got a fish, and I handed it to her. So she reeled it in, cast it out again, another one. Well, after two fish, she's like, "All right, Dad, I'm ready." I'm like, "We're still catching fish. Like it's yeah. not like it was boring." Yeah. Yeah. But and at that point, I'm like, "All right," you know, I was with my mom, and I was like, "Reel in. We're going in." Because if I keep her out there, it's gonna make her miserable. Correct. Yeah. So, um, what would your best advice to getting kids outdoors, getting them active, to be?
1: Good question, man. Part of me wants to say don't force it, but sometimes you kind of have to. So, like, for Jack, remember, I said that I had no intention of getting him out until he was, like, five or six in my mind. But at three and a half, he was like, I won't go, I won't go. So, I kind of, it's almost like you leave it up to them might be some good advice. Now, if you get to five and six and they're still too nervous to try or don't want to, you may have to force them to go once. Um, Bring lots of snacks bring lots of snacks. Stop and get donuts before you go. I've even I even go so far as like we don't have to wake up early. You know, we wake up at a at a medium early time just to make sure I'm giving them every opportunity for it to be enjoyable before, you know, before they get hopefully get you know to that seven, eight, nine-year-old where they just have the bug so bad it doesn't matter. You know, so just um it's hard man. It's a hard thing. And here's the thing. Here's here's what I do want to say about it. If you try and try and the kid just don't take to it, accept it, man. Accept it. Don't try to change that about that child and find something y'all could bond over that has nothing to do with that they're interested in. Because number one, you may just buy yourself time until they finally do find interest in it. Or number two, they may never find interest in it. You have to accept that. Like, don't force them to love it just because you love it.
0: You know, you're saying that about people that, like, so probably one of the biggest outdoors men that I know. And like when I wanted to learn about doing cable restraints, I, I was like, I, don't, I was like, I don't know anybody that does it, and I really want to get a mentor to learn about it Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, and I started trapping, and I went to the trapping classes and all. Well, one day I'm sitting there, and they're showing pictures from the trapping class before, and I was like, huh, I know that man. I've known him my whole life. It, out of every, I should have known it was him. That would be the trapper of the group, you know. Yeah. But he's got three or four boys, and not on the hunt.
1: Not on one hunt. Probably because he's so obsessed with it. <laughs> it's like, and that's what happens, right? <laughs> so like, it becomes something that almost becomes a burden for the rest of the family. Like the wife hates it because you're gone. You know, the prim- primary of the hunt season, you're gone every weekend. You're not taking her out on dates. You're not there. You know, you're not present as a father. And look, I know because I almost went down that road. I almost became so obsessed with this that you know it, it it started to interfere with my family so you have to strike some sort of balance and I think a lot of times when the kids don't take interest is because a the father got too obsessed with it and that the family start to hate it or b the father got too obsessed with it and he didn't allow the child time to find their own love for it or something similar like like I said Milo probably won't ever deer hunt because he just don't like being quiet he might like to duck hunt so that just means I have to duck hunt a little bit more. Yeah. Or, take, or maybe neither one of my kids like to hunt and they only like to fish. Well, hell, I'll just go fishing with them and hunting will be for me. You know, so I just think some some fathers and husbands get way too obsessed with it and they make it a burden for their family members and you can't do that.
0: And, you know, and there's another thing, like I was saying, like, if a, like look, if a kid looking at a phone or reading a book or whatever doesn't bother them, don't force them just to sit there in silence and do nothing, you know? Yeah. Because, like, me growing up, I hated deer hunting. Like I was like, man, I don't want to deer hunt. I don't yeah. want to, you know, because it, it's cold. I'm sitting there doing nothing. And later on in life, I really got to the point where I enjoyed it. Yeah. So just because they don't enjoy it right now doesn't mean five, ten years down the right. road that it's not going to happen. Right. But, uh, all right, so we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. You know, I guess, Josh, this one's for you. Since last week's, was or two weeks ago was so long, we'll keep this one short. So y'all make sure y'all thank a veteran, and I hope to catch you on the B-side of the outdoors.